The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We're in this awesome book of Philippians. We're going to be in it for a little while. And just an encouragement uh, to you. Um, one of the best ways to read a book of the Bible is just to read it all the way through without thinking through chapter numbers, verse numbers. Just, just let that thing ring. Um, So I've actually been putting it on my audio Bible and just letting it play in one session and listening to it. You can literally do it while you're doing the dishes, while you're cooking, while you're studying. It's really, really easy to do, but it's really, really good just to let the whole book be read to you. So just something that you could do. And I want to encourage you, like, do this multiple times a week. It'll take you less than 15 minutes just to sit there and let something just be spoken over you, spoken to you. Um, but it's a really good way because as you hear the whole book, you pick up all of these things along the way. And so in this series, if, if you're new to LCC, we love to preach through books of the Bible. We kind of go through chunks at a time. But ultimately, if you can just read the whole book and just let that thing sing, uh, it's amazing. And this book is a, is a great, great book. If you remember from last week, if you were here last week, uh, if you weren't, um, this, this book is it's, it's a personal letter from Paul to a church that he started about 10 years ago. And he loves these people. It's very, very personal. It's very, very practical. Um, but one of the things that really stands out about the letter is just how joyful the letter is. And when you consider the context of Paul, you consider what his context of his life is, Those of us who live in the Western world have to ask ourselves, how can someone in that set of circumstances be so joyful? Because you and I are taught that happiness comes from having the good life, from not having problems. When when you have the spouse, when you have the kids, when you have the job, when you complete your studies, when everything's going well, happiness when you have problems, when you get COVID, when you have to step in and preach, whatever your circumstances might be that are negative, often it steals our joy and robs our joy. Has that been your experience? When things go bad, all of a sudden, the first thing that goes out the window is our joyfulness. But yet we read this book and the circumstances surrounding it, the content just is like, wow. So let me just give you a quick recap. Paul was an enemy of Jesus. He gets converted, starts following Jesus. From the, from nearly from the very beginning, he feels a sense of call, not to the Jewish people, but to those that aren't a part of the Jewish people, known as the Gentiles. And eventually he gets confirmed as being the apostle to the Gentiles. And so you kind of got Peter becomes the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's the guy who's going to work with Jews and focus on Jews and start to tell them about Jesus being the true Messiah. And Paul is like, well, I'm going to get sent out this way. I'm going to go to the Gentiles who are mostly polytheistic and have all of these different worldviews. And I want to get into that territory. And he feels this commission from God specifically to go to Rome. Because the Roman Empire is in charge of the known world. And in his mind, he knows that if he can get into the urban center of the most powerful city in the world, he will transform the world. So his eyes are set. You read the book of Acts. He is like, Rome is where we are going. And yet even here, he he wants to go through Asia. And God's like, no, 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 we want to do some stuff through Europe. So he goes to Europe. He plants this church. And then in the lead up to this, He's had four years of hell. He's had two years where he's been in a prison in Caesarea for a trumped up charge. 
He's falsely accused. He gets put in prison. Because he has sort of a dual citizenship, he eventually kind of says, hey, guys, I'm going to use my, my Roman trump card here. He throws that down on the ground and goes, actually, you need to send me to Rome so you can charge me. He rarely does that, but he does that in this case. On the way, which is not a flight, but by boat, they get shipwrecked. He doesn't flee, he doesn't run, he swims to, a, to an island called Malta. He has to wait there in the winter. While he's there, he gets bitten by a snake. And his circumstances are so, like he's so frustrated by everything else that when the snake bites him, he's like, <laughs> just whatever. Because so, stuff is going so bad for him. And then when he gets to Rome, he gets put back into prison. And he's in prison under Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, Nero doesn't like Christ followers. In fact, Nero, in the near future, is going to set the entire city of Rome on fire because he wants to rebuild it in his own name and then says, the Christians did it. So then everyone starts persecuting Christians because they destroyed their city. So he's in jail. He's chained 24 hours a day. Any mums here just wish you could go to the toilet without interruption? Okay, this is Paul's entire life, 24 hours a day, rotating guards, he's changed. He has no privacy, he has no comfort, he has nothing that our culture would say you should have in your life to make you happy. Yet the man is filled with joy. Two years in one prison, months to get to this other prison, now he's in prison and he's writing this letter to this church and he is filled with joy. And the question that we must ask is, how in the world is this man happy? The answer is, he has a perspective that has been shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a worldview. He sees things through a lens that is not the lens that our culture seeks to give us. And so no matter what happens to him, it has to get filtered through this perspective, filtered through this worldview, and as it does, it doesn't steal his joy. Just this past week, uh, my wife and I had our 20 years of marriage. We went away for nine days. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. We dished off our kids. We had a great time. Come back. I catch a Brisbane flu. Shane last week said it was the man flu. Listen, I've been told that the man flu is actually legit this time around. This particular Brisbane flu, it's killing the dudes. That's all I've heard. So I'm rolling with that. Um, now, in that period last week, it was my birthday as well. And it was great to enjoy my birthday in bed. But the kids, the kids bought me some presents. And one of the things they bought me was a whole lot of chocolate. Because I was sick, I couldn't eat the chocolate. So every day they would ask me, oh, can we have some more chocolate? <laughs> So I'd say, sure, go get it. Yeah, have some more chocolate, have some more chocolate. The last day, Kelly comes in and she goes, Dad, can I have some more chocolate? And I look and there are two chocolates left. Out of all the chocolates, that was for my birthday. And so I said to her, I said, sure, hun, you can have one of the last two chocolates. And she's like, why are you upset? I said, I'm not upset. She's like, oh, look, I'm a little bit upset because all the chocolate's gone and there's only one left. Her perspective? Yeah, but it's the lucky last chocolate. <laughs> and I was just like, that's your perspective. My perspective was there were hundreds and now there's one. Uh, perspective, how you see things matters. 
And if you're in the room and you're a Christian, your perspective should be getting radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul here is writing to say to people, yes, my circumstances are dire. My problems are real. I'm not going to deny that this time is hard. But I have joy and you can have joy if you'll think like this, if you'll learn how to have a perspective. So three things, three particular things that I believe that Paul's gospel perspective changes how he sees. These things are, it changes how he sees God, it changes how he sees people, and it changes how he sees his problems. Are you with me? All right, number one, it changes how he sees God. So he opens the letter with a little bit of an introduction, but the first words here are, hey guys, I thank my God. Four years of hell. Four years of nothing but problems and people against him. He's waking up every day not knowing where, whether Nero's going to come and say, day, done, life, over. And his first words to these people are, I thank. I'm thankful. I'm joyful. He has every reason to be miserable. He has every reason to be complaining. He has every reason to whinge. But he says, no, 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 I'm thankful. And I'm thankful to my God. He's also prayerful. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. Excuse me. For you all making my prayer with joy. And not only is he thankful and prayerful, he is hopeful. Verse 6, and I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work, that he is God, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is thankful. Paul is prayerful. Paul is hopeful. Why? Because he understands the gospel of Jesus Christ. He understands something. He has a belief system. He has a, a worldview. Now, throughout history, whatever current generation is in place is criticized by the previous generation. It's why I love being a middle-aged man. It's my turn. As a, as a Gen Y guy, all the baby mooners mocked me. Now it's my time to get the millennials. All right, you Gen Z, you millennials, coming for you. All right. Um, what are the millennial generation, the Gen Z generation, most known for and most criticized for in our culture? Sorry? Entitlement. We knew it. We know you, Gen Z and you millennials. You are the most entitled bunch of people we have ever seen in human history. Except the irony of that is that previous to you, I was the most, my generation was the most entitled. And before that, it was the baby boomers generation that was most entitled. Um, and so for those of you who are millennials and Gen Z, you're going to get criticized with this. Just know that we're all hypocrites. Every generation that's ever gone before and come after is criticized for being the most entitled generation. So it's, I don't know what the name is for the next one, um, Gen A, <clears throat> I don't know what it's going to be. You, you get your chance to say, they are just so entitled, this new generation. Um, entitlement is what this generation gets labeled with, but it's what every generation has been labeled with because when you are, when you are a sinful, broken human being, you are entitled. 
the only people that can't be entitled in this world are people who have experienced something called grace. Entitlement is this sense of, I see something that I want, I see something that I think I should have and I deserve, but I don't have it. Every time you are feeling entitled, you will always experience misery because your outlook is what you don't have. And this is what every generation that's ever been in human history does and thinks. This is the worldview. That's what I'm going after. I should have this size house. I should have this type of job. I should get paid this amount of money. I should have my phone now. Why everybody else has their phone? Why, go, why don't I get a phone? I want to be on Instagram and social media. All well, my friends are in going And it just goes on and on. And every generation does this. And the gospel says, listen, you don't have everything that you think you should. Let's flip it and turn it and let's see what you do have that you don't deserve. This is what the gospel does. This is why Paul is not sitting in jail saying, well, I don't deserve this. What have I done to deserve this? Remember, he, he's going to Rome. He's thinking, I'm coming to Rome as a preacher. I'm gonna see the gospel spread. Why am I in prison? He doesn't do that. Why? Because Paul understands the gospel because the gospel says you have a whole lot of things that you don't deserve see Paul's not sitting in jail saying I don't deserve this Paul's sitting in jail saying I don't deserve to serve God like this I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his family. I don't deserve a home secure in heaven forever. I don't deserve like this eternal, purposeful, uh, missional life that he's called me to. I don't deserve anything. What I do deserve is hell. A life eternally separated from God forever is what I deserve. But I don't have that. I've got God. And this is amazing, and I have his grace, and I have his mercy, and I have his spirit. And so Paul's not sitting here looking at what he doesn't have. Paul is overwhelmed by what he does have. He has grace, he has mercy, he has a family, this, these church people, he is overwhelmed. And this is what the gospel does. The gospel gets us from being like Adam and Eve in the garden who look at the one thing they don't have and go, well, why can't I eat that? And they go, look at all that God has given me. I don't care about that. I've got an oasis with four rivers. God walks in the cool of the day with me. And this is what the enemy does. The enemy gets our eyes off what we do have by the grace and mercy of God. And he tries to get it onto what we don't have to make us miserable. And Paul is in jail. And Paul is like, I don't deserve to be here in a positive way. This is amazing. God is using me. God is calling me. God is equipping me. God loves me. God's for me. This is amazing. So entitlement focuses on what we don't have that we think we deserve. Grace focuses on what we do have that we know we don't. But also in that, notice that as he understands the gospel, this doesn't make him like a browbeater. Well, I don't deserve anything. So I'm just going to be just lowly and just humble and just, you know, if, you know, if I if I get to have that then well, it's just by the grace of God. You should all just be happy clappies, okay? 
Okay, you had COVID, yeah, but you could have had COVID seven times. We've only had, just be, do you notice that he also doesn't have that? Because isn't that sometimes the flip side of the gospel? Well, you deserve hell. You deserve eternal separation from God, so you should just be happy with what you've got. Notice that's not also the mindset. The mindset is, yeah, I've got God. It's just positive. It's like, and he's not finished. God's got work to do. So I'm sure of this, that he who begins a good work will complete it. God is not finished with me. God is not finished with you. God has stuff to do. So it's not just like you get this gospel thing and then you're like, okay, we're just going to have no ambition. We're not going to pray with like fervency. We're just going to be like, well, I guess this is just it. It's like, no, 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 we have God. And God hasn't just acted in history to save me. God is continuing to act now to use me. And so he is pumped. He is excited. He is moving forward. He has great anticipation in his heart. Paul is possessed with a triumphant joy. God's active. God's moving. God's doing something. I don't know what it is, but he's doing something. But your circumstances suck. I know, but I know my God. And my God doesn't just give people bad circumstances and go, well, just be happy, little entitled millennial. You know, he's like, no, no, no. I'm working. I'm doing. I'm active. The gospel has changed Paul's perspective of his God. God can. God's able. God loves. Two, it's affected how he sees people. Notice how he talks about these people. He says, I have you on my mind, I have you on my heart, I have you in my prayers. Verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. Paul loves people. Can I just say it this way? Paul doesn't tolerate people. loves them sometimes I think in the Christian world love equals tolerate (laughs) oh well we're in the same church as long as they sit on that side I guess (laughs) Uh, as long as we're not in the same life group you know as long as you know I guess we no 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 Paul's like nah I'm thinking about you all the time I love you. I pray for you. Paul, you're chained to like guards 24 hours a day and you're thinking about who? Like, I know what I'm like when I'm going through a tough time and who I think about. And it kind of looks like this. Um, when, When I got sick last week, I wasn't really thinking about my wife and my kids. I was wondering like, when is the cup of tea and the toast coming? You know what I mean? Because that's what happens. Yeah, I've got an amen over here from one man who's got courage. Okay? It, it, could, it could be stupidity, but uh, it's also courage. <laughs> when, when you read Paul's letters, when you read this particular letter, Paul is all about the gospel, right? Verse 5 in chapter 1. If we just go chapter 1 alone, partnership in the gospel, verse 5, defending the gospel, verse 7, advancing the gospel, verse 12, proclaiming the gospel, verse 14, defending the gospel, verse 16, 27, uh, living life worthy of the gospel, and again, verse 27, striving for the faith of the gospel. Paul is all about the gospel. He's, he's, he's just got one thing he wants to tell everyone about, but he's also about partnership in the gospel. 
So he says that he is thankful to God, verse 5, for your partnership in the gospel. This is Paul realizing that his ministry, what he does, is not about Paul. He's not this one-man band. He has partners in this thing called the gospel. This word partner here is a, is a word for those of you who've been Christians for a while, you'll know it. Um, it's called koinonia. It comes from the Greek word coin, spelt with a K, not a C. And the precise meaning varies depending on the context it's used. Sometimes it's used as a noun, sometimes it's used as a verb. So it has these varying meanings. In, in Acts 2.42, it's, it's pronounced fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In 2 Corinthians 9, it's used as, being uh, as contribution. It says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution. It's the, the idea there is that people are contributing financially to this thing. Other times it's used as participation. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Koinonia. So, so when Paul's using this word, he's got all of these different meanings. Even throughout this one letter, verse 5 in chapter 1, because of your partnership in the gospel, 1-7, for you're all partakers of me with grace. 2-1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any uh, comfort and love, any participation in the Spirit, same word, 3-10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. 4, 14 to 15, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. See, in our culture, relationships are built on two main things. Proximity and affinity. We go to the same school, now we can be friends because we, we see each other in the same class. Proximity. Uh, we live next door to each other as neighbors, so we can kind of have some type of relationship or affinity. You like the Broncos. I like the Broncos. Let's cheer for the Broncos. Hey, the Broncos won. Never talk to you for another however long, right? Affinity. We, we like the same things. We read the same books. We like to go. I've got lots of friends who have coffees at the same places. Our relationship is based around coffee and space. It's, it's an affinity. What the Bible says is there's something that is greater than proximity and affinity. It's called eternity. You see, in our cultural relationships, if you lose affinity, you can lose your relationship. If you lose proximity, so you leave that school, now you go to this school, you make new friends, you lose those friends. And in the Christian circle, we don't resolve and revolve our lives around proximity and affinity. We do it around a person named Jesus Christ and the gospel, and it is eternal. And so there is something deeper, longer lasting, something that is far more harder to break than whether you lose affinity or not. So Paul is over here in a Roman prison there in Philippi, and yet they have a bond that is inseparable, even though they have no proximity. Why? Because they have koinonia. They have a partnership where they share and participate and contribute together in this thing called the gospel mission in the world. Church, we are called to something that is greater than affinity, greater than proximity. We are called. You are invited into this thing called an eternal mission, 
of God, surrounded and centered in on Jesus Christ, the person. And guess what? You can't take him away. So you can't lose that. And so he loves these people, not just because they're great, but because they have their lives, they have their relationships centered in on Jesus. And though he is in prison, they are participating. They are partnering with him. They, as you're going to see next week, are praying for him and giving financially to him. And they're trying to love and care for him. And he likewise them. It's incredible relationships. And I don't know about you, but our culture is losing its ability to find, experience, deep, satisfying, long-lasting relationships because they're building relationships on everything that is surface. And social media is contributing greatly to that. This is why gathering in person is so important and doing things like life groups is so important because it's helping go, hey, this relationship is not built on this, it's built on Jesus. Let's keep him in the center. Let's keep learning and growing in him. Let's keep encouraging each other in him. And all of a sudden you get this depth of relationship that the world just cannot understand because it goes beyond race and ethnicity. It goes beyond education status. It goes beyond where we live, how we play, and people who shouldn't have friendships, according to our culture, have an unbreakable, inseparable relationship because that relationship is centered on Jesus. And it's crazy. And I can tell you as someone who's been a Christian for just over 20 years, I've experienced this not just from my spouse, but from people in this room who've picked me up when I was down, who prayed for me when I was down, who came to my house and did lawns for me when I couldn't do lawns, who loved and served and encouraged. And I've experienced it on this side of the table where people have said, we partner with you. And that's only possible because of Jesus Christ. And number three, it changes how he sees his problems. Now, Paul has two major problems here, right? He's got chains in here. He's in jail, but he's also got critics out there. So he's got chains in here, right? I want you to know, he says, brothers, verse 12, that what has happened to me, these, these chains being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. That's interesting, because remember, Paul's always wanted to go to Rome. And when he goes to Rome, he, he's got a plan. When you get big ideas, big dreams, and you tell your friends... Like, you kind of got an idea how that particular thing's going to come about, don't you? Well, I'm going to do this one day, and I can't wait. I'm going to go there. I'm going to study this, and then this is my plan. And everyone's like, yes. I'm sure Paul did this. I'm pretty sure Paul was like, you know, God's called me to Rome. Yeah, man, he's called you to Rome. It's, you know, I'm going to preach there. We're going to see people get saved. And, you know, if we can get Rome, man, if we can get that. And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, I can just see churches everywhere. Yeah. And then he's in prison. Oh, no. This is not how I planned the campaign. You know, I was hoping to be on Preachers and Sneakers, but here I am. I'm just not getting on there. And Paul's like, but the gospel's advancing. The plan isn't working out how I had thought it would work out, but it is advancing. 
And that's really what I wanted. I wanted to see the gospel advance in this region. And so my imprisonment, my difficulty, my problem really isn't a problem because my perspective is, this is what my life's about, seeing the gospel advance. So I don't really care how that happens. That's pretty amazing. I think a lot of pastors need to think about that and consider that. And he says that it is advancing in two main ways. One, other Christians are being encouraged. That's what he says in verse 14. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak. In other words, me being in prison and me continuing to stand firm and have faith and cling to Jesus is encouraging others. Put up your hand if somebody else's faith during their struggle has encouraged your faith during your struggle. Okay? Again, this is why if you're a Christian, you are not supposed to be perfect. We need to know your struggle. Why? Because as we watch you and see how Jesus holds on to you through that struggle, we are encouraged when it's our turn, Jesus will likewise hold on to us. This is why the church has to be authentic and transparent and be honest that, hey, not everything's great. Jesus is great. And when we're going through it, we cling to him. He clings to us and we come out through the other side. So many people are encouraged by your story. This is what's happening. And then another way is that Caesar's imperial guards are getting saved. So that's what he says in verse 13. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now this is cool. So listen up. Caesar's imperial guard, he has a limited amount of these men, but these are the SAS, the Navy SEALs. These are the elite of the elite in their day. They're the highest paid people in the empire. He chooses them by himself, right? He, he gives verbal affirmation, that guy, that guy. Nope, 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 that guy. He chooses his men by himself. They're only allowed to serve for 12 years. So they serve him for 12 years. And then what he does after that is he then basically, as part of their retirement package plan, he then moves them to particular provinces of the Roman Empire where they become team leader of that place. So they become counselor, you know, whoever of that particular region, right? These guards are tied to Paul 24 hours a day. Nero is doing that because if he puts them next to Paul, what can't happen to Paul? He can't escape. God's like, great plan. Guess what that means? You can't escape Paul. And Paul, he's like every preacher. He just talks and talks and, and talks. And what you thought was going to be a 30-minute sermon, yeah, it's 60. You know, it's somewhere around there. Okay. And some of you are laughing right now because you know that's what's happening right, right in this very moment. <laughs> Still going, right? Um, and so these guys are tied to him 24 hours a day. But essentially, if, if you were to say, hey, we want to influence and change the entire Roman Empire, if you could get a particular certain people in a room and get them the gospel, it's these men. Because these are the future leaders of the entire nation. And so Paul's like, Oh man, I'm in change. And God's like, yeah, in chains. That's my plan. Because that's how we're going to transform Rome. Because you're going to sit there for 24 hours a day as they're on rotating shifts. And you're going to go, hey, Bob, let me tell you about Jesus again. And now I'm writing this letter to this church. Let me tell you about how this church was started. Let me tell you about this. And he is just like, blah, 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 blah. And guess what happens? One by one, these men start becoming Christians and getting saved. 
So much so that Hero tells us that he kills his wife, he kills his mother, he kills two of his children who he drowns. Why? Because they became Christians. So the gospel is not chained. It cannot be chained. It cannot be bound. Paul says this in Timothy. It cannot, you cannot stop it. So Paul's sort of difficulty, his circumstances seem horrible and God's like, great, it's the very thing I had in mind because we are going to spread this gospel. It's going to get into the house of Nero. At the end of his letter, he even says the family, members of the family say, hi, Philippi. Because they are getting converted one after another, after another, after another. And guess what? They're going to get sent out into these regions where they will not be Roman. They will be Christians with Roman citizenship like Paul. And they will be telling others about Jesus. So God gave Paul a captive audience and he took advantage of it. So these chains are not really problems because they're advancing the gospel and that's the priority of my life. And then he has this other problem where he's got critics out there. It says, verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put in here for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. In other words, like I'm in prison and it's their, their chance to take advantage of that. And so they do. Um, who here likes criticism? I know some of you like to give it, but I mean, who likes to receive it? No one likes criticism. Paul is in the worst moment, so to speak, and he is being criticized and people are taking advantage of his situation. And you know what he says? Ah, well, as long as they're preaching Jesus, who cares? What a perspective. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to get justification. I don't need to take revenge. Guys, listen. You don't have to defend me. You don't have to worry about it because what matters is whether they're preaching the true faith. Now, Paul has no dramas calling people out. You're going to see that in chapter three. Because if you preach the wrong Jesus, I'm coming for you. And I'll call you out because if you preach the wrong gospel, you're not saving people. It's not helping people. So he has no dramas calling that out. But as for my own reputation, I don't care. As long as Jesus is proclaimed, as long as the true gospel is going, then people are truly, God will work that stuff out. Oh, if only, if only I had that perspective. Here's the thing. If people's approval builds you up, their criticism and rejection will pull you down. Paul cares what one person says about him. And his name is God. That's it. He doesn't need the approval of man. He has the approval of the king. And the king says, I love you. I'm for you. Keep going. Don't quit. I'm doing stuff. Trust me. And so, okay, there's some difficulty. It's okay. If Paul's priority was his personal happiness, if Paul's priority was to focus on meeting his unmet needs, if Paul's focus was on being approved by people in the culture, Paul would be miserable in jail. But Paul's priority is Jesus Christ. Paul's priority is telling people about Jesus Christ and more people meeting Jesus Christ. And he doesn't care about anything else. And so go ahead, chain me up, imprison me. You can't touch me. MC Hammer.
Church, what's our perspective? What is the lens through which we are living our life? Are we allowing our culture to shape that perspective and that worldview so that our joy is getting touched? Paul and God through Paul wants to say to you, get your eyes on Jesus today. Focus on the truth of the gospel and you will see that you have more right now, more, abundantly more than what you think you should have. You've already got it and above. Let the gospel shape your worldview. Let the gospel touch your heart again. Let the gospel ignite and fuel you so you're like, oh my gosh, I am so grateful. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 